Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 to 10, and chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Please grab your Bibles or your version Bible, or in the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 968. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. My name's Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are working our way through a stewardship uh, series called Get Greedy. Um, We are at a historic crossroads of challenge and opportunity as a young church. Um, and we've talked a lot about this. If you're new with us this morning, this may be new to you, but uh, we've been talking a lot about getting out of this temporary space, or in some ways how God basically is ejecting us out. There are things happening, but there are also opportunities, um, potentially an opportunity for us to secure a building here in town. Either way, we know that God is telling us that it's time to get ready, so we have great opportunities in front of us. And honestly, um, for us to raise money, we have to talk about money, and, and, and that is a great opportunity Um, to really talk about what the Bible has to teach about these things. Uh, As it's been mentioned previously, but it's good to remind us, Jesus talked more about money than any other topic. He talked about money more than he talked about love or heaven or hell or those three things combined, honestly. He talked a lot about money, and it's not because money is the most important thing. It's because how we use our money shows us what we think is most important. If I were to look at your checkbook, if I were to open your garage door, if I were to see where you spent your money, I would know what you valued. And so would you, right? Because what we do with our money reveals what our hearts value. The second thing, though, that's also true is how we use our money shapes what our hearts value. Not only reveals, but also shapes the values of our hearts. So we can look back and see what we have valued. And as we look forward, Um, how we continue to use our money, in fact, continues to shape what we think is most important in life. So it reveals our heart and it shapes our heart, which is why we have to talk about it. (laughs) That's why Jesus talked about it. Uh, Money is nothing if it is not spiritual. How we use our money, how we manage our things, how we engage as stewards is, in fact, a spiritual thing um, because it it speaks to our, our hearts, right? Um, so we're talking about principles that really should impact our lives well beyond this current season of need. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this current season because we have a, a need in front of us as a young church, and, and I'm calling our church to get involved and be active um, through the process of a capital campaign so that we can be equipped to take advantage of the opportunities in front of us. But the things that we're talking about go well beyond the current need. I mean, these are things that should be affecting our lives on a daily basis as followers of Christ. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, 
Um, I hope that, that this gives you a glimpse into really what, what the Bible tells us, um, how, how we should relate to things, to, to uh, what we, we, we own and, and, and manage. Um, so we're doing a five-week series, and we called it Get Greedy. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of, of us talking about um, how we approach our money. And the premise is very simply this, that if we get greedy for the right things, it's going to free us from greed from the wrong things. If we get greedy for joy and for freedom and uh, for an experience of God's grace, an experience of God's presence, it's going to free us from greed, uh, from things that are really robbing us of joy, materialism and, and, um, and things like that. And so we're looking at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're doing kind of an in-depth study of some of the principles there. This isn't a five-week series on Steve's best tips about money. You really don't want my best tips about money. I am not um, like the greatest money manager. That's not my strength. Um, but God does give some pretty good insight into how we can approach our wealth, approach our money, and actually walk away with greater joy, less insecurity, and more freedom. Now, there are a couple of reminders that I want to give you before we dive into our text. The first is that we have made a devotional available to you guys, and it's still time to jump in. Over this five-week series, there's a 20-day devotional that was written by um, Redeemer Church, which is uh, Tim Keller's church, and they've given us permission to use it. Um, Tim Keller has been uh, a mentor to our movement of churches, and they very graciously allowed us to use their material. And so that is available to you. We have it at Connection Point uh, in printed format. Uh, if you want it in PDF format, all you need to do is jump uh, onto, our, uh, onto the city, which is our online communication tool. Uh, when you jump onto the city, uh, you can download it there. So if you don't know what the city is, go to Connection Point. It takes 15 seconds. We'll get you signed up. And basically, it's just a way for you to be, stay plugged in to what's going on around here and the resources we're making available. There are no more printed. We can print it for you if you want it. How's that? Go to Connection Point. I'm sure that's a problem they can solve. Um, and they would be happy to print that out for you if you want it in printed format. If not, again, we're happy to give it to you in PDF format. Just go on the city. Um, the second thing is that we have a financial forum coming up this Saturday. This is something that we've worked diligently to put together to come alongside. Because as we talk about money and we specifically talk about giving, we know that there's a lot of people that are just in a mess, right? How do I know this? Because you're Americans, right? We, this is just the American way, right? We spend money we don't have for things we don't need, and, and then later we complain about not having enough freedom. And, and so we want to come alongside you and help you move into freedom financially. And that means we're going to have to really kind of go in depth into some biblical principles. Some of that's going to be challenging, right? It's hard when you take the biblical principles and actually compare it to your checkbook. And all right, but what does this mean? How do I manage my money for God's glory? And how do I manage it wisely so that I actually get more free and can pay off my debt and can actually respond to God when God gives me opportunities or, or asks me to be obedient? So here's the thing. We're going to give you information, but more than that, we're going to give you coaching. We're going to come alongside you and help you. You guys, we're not going to condemn you. We're not going to judge you. We're, we're not, that's not what this is about. We want to come alongside you and help you move into freedom. We're going to teach you how to budget. We're going to teach you basic skills on how to pay off debt. Um, and, and for some of you, uh, you may be coming with a lot of tools to the table, but you just seem to keep falling back into a rhythm, an unhealthy rhythm of financial stewardship. We want to help you create healthy rhythms, long-standing uh, financial health. Okay, So this Saturday, we're going to have that, and then it goes into a series of of uh, coaching and, and, and different things, resources that we'll be coming alongside you to help you with. If you want more information on the financial forum, I would point you to the bulletin, but that thing didn't get delivered. So I'm going to point you instead to Connection Point. 
Okay, Connection Point might be a happening place after the service. That'd be awesome. But they will be more than happy to help you get plugged in and get information so that you can find out about how to be involved in that. The third thing is specifically for my students. We have uh, a, a very large student population for which I'm very thankful. Um, the students bring a lot of energy and a lot of life, a lot of life change, a lot of challenging questions, um, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. About 30% of our church is made up of students, uh, and, and that's pretty high population, honestly, um, which is awesome. And I've had a number of parents come up to me over the last couple of years and just really thank me that we have a church where their student feels comfortable, enjoys um, entering into church, engaging the gospel, and, and entering into life change. And one of the things that we want to do over the course of this capital campaign uh, is give people the opportunity to join us as we're trying to meet the challenges that are facing our church. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you are a college student, we've made available a letter that you can pick up. It's from us to your parents that you can take and deliver to them, or you can give us their information, their, their, their name and their address, and we will mail them the letter. Here's my promise to you. We won't be weird, okay? We're, we're not going to throw you under the bus. Um, we're not going to, you know, it's all, they're going to get a letter, and we're not going to plague them. If they want to engage the information, they can. We just want to give them the opportunity to do so, okay? So if they are... are wanting to, you know, engage if they're excited about what God is doing here. Uh, we want to give them the opportunity to be part of that, okay? So I would encourage you to visit Connection Point, right? Right out here in the lobby after the service. You can pick up a letter that you can give to your parents, or you can give us some information that will allow us to send them a letter. And then, like I said, we're not going to plague them. We're not going to follow up with them. They're not getting on our mailing list. We're just specifically trying to share this information with them so that they can uh, join with us if they want to. All right, this morning we are jumping into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, in this passage, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, um, specifically because he is actually conducting a, a huge multi-city, multi-church capital campaign. He is in the process of trying to raise a ton of money because for two reasons. One is to equip the needs of believers. There are some needy believers in Jerusalem that are in crisis, and he wants to raise money from the church specifically to meet the needs of, of believers. But secondly, and just as importantly, is to continue to move the church on mission, to equip the church to continue moving forward with the gospel so that more people can hear about Jesus, more people can hear about who God is and what he's done so that they can taste the redemption and the restoration that is available through the work of Christ. And so it's both um, a caretaking uh, endeavor and a, a, a missional endeavor, an endeavor to, to keep the church on mission. In writing to the Corinthians, um, we get an incredible insight into Paul's mind on finances and how specifically he goes about raising money, how he gets the church involved in the process of giving to meet the need and keep the church moving on mission. He begins in chapter 8, by giving us a, an example of, of people that were, were affected by grace and already gave. Uh, we talked about those folks two weeks ago in our sermon. Um, they're the Macedonians, and those are people in three specific cities. It would be Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Three churches that Paul started, three churches that were started in the midst of persecution and suffering. Paul was there starting these churches, sharing the gospel. People became believers. A church started opposition rose up. Each one of those, Paul pretty much had to be shipped out by night because the opposition was getting so intense, the fire was raising. And so um, when he left, the believers that were left behind were left in kind of a cauldron of suffering. Many of them faced economic challenges. Many of them lost their jobs. Many of them were, lost, were facing a loss of opportunities. And as a result, they were facing affliction and poverty and suffering. And yet they became a tremendous example of generous giving. 
He says, these Macedonians, these people that were suffering so much, gave generously, which doesn't make any sense at all, unless you understand why. And what we exposed two, two weeks ago in the sermon was the fact that they were motivated by something different than greed, right? Greed math is very different than grace math. I just want to give you a very, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but just kind of give you a glimpse uh, of that. Bam. There we go. All right. On the greed math essentially is this, and this is how most of us approach our finances. This is how we're taught by our culture to approach our finances. We look at what we have and we say, I own this. We look at what we don't have and we say, I want this. <laughs> and if I can get this, then I might be content, right? So there's the, there's the math equation. I take what I have, I add what I don't, and eventually I might be content. The problem is it is a treadmill of discontent. And you know this, right? You know this from your own experience, right? I have a car, I want a nicer car, right? I have a home, I want a bigger home. I had a meal, I want a nicer meal. I like goat cheese, I want goat cheese from the Himalayas, right? We are always looking to get more, to somehow make it better, right? And if I can just get a little more, if I can just make it a little better, then I'll be content. The problem is you never get there. This math never adds up. You're always discontent and, in fact, only increases your discontent. The more you get, the more you want. And, in fact, the more frustrated you get because the higher, there's diminishing returns, right? The more you move into, you know, like gourmet food, right? You're like, oh, if I could just then, then, then each step becomes less and less satisfying, right? When you improve the quality or you get a bigger home or you get a nicer ride or whatever it is, it just increases your discontent. That's greed math. When you're stuck here, man, you can't be generous. You just can't because you got to protect what you have and you need to get a little bit more. And when you are generous, it's usually grudgingly, it's painful. We call it sacrifice. Um, and there's really not a lot of joy in it. The difference is grace math. When you're a follower of Christ, you are invited to relate to your possessions in an entirely new way. And that's based on grace, not greed, right? So that's kind of the premise, right? We want to get greedy for grace, not for our things. So grace math says we look at what we have and we say, wow, look at what I've been given. Not what, I, what, what do I own, but what, do I have, what have I been given? So I'm a steward, not an owner. Why? Because I didn't create it, right? I, I don't remember the last time I spoke something into existence. That's a God thing, right? God speaks things into existence. They're all His. And then He entrusts them to me, whether it's my money or my home or my body or, or my very being, right? God has given me everything I have, including my talents, um, that I develop for his glory, but they're all from him, right? So I'm a steward of all these things, not an owner, a steward. And so as a steward, I come to the owner and I say, thanks. <laughs> so I add to what I have gratitude. I'm like, holy cow, I've been given a lot. I mean, I've been given more than I deserve, right? When I focus on it, not as what I have to be protected, but what I've been given to be thankful for, I add gratitude. And what's the result? I can then move out in joyful generosity, I can then move out and say, since the God of all things has given me these things and he's now asking me to give them away, I'm pretty sure he can replace it. I'm pretty sure he can take care of me, right? And so grace math frees us to joyful generosity. That's exactly what happened in Macedonia. These guys took affliction and suffering, added joy, and it resulted in generosity. That math doesn't make, up, make, make any sense unless you get grace, unless you're like, okay, God's at the heart of all of this, and He's the one that ultimately is going to satisfy me and not my things, all right? So that was the grace principle two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the fairness principle. Dan preached that sermon, and uh, in that sermon, what we did is we took a look at, at this very simple principle that when it comes to giving, what God is looking for is equal sacrifice, not equal giving. Equal sacrifice, not equal giving. So in other words, when God calls us to give, He's going to call each one of us to give a different amount. 
There is no, like when you read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there's no magic number, no magic percentage, right? Paul doesn't come and say, okay, this is what God wants you to do and the rest you get to keep, right? That's, that's an ownership mentality, right? Stewardship mentality says it's all God's to begin with. Why don't you ask him what to do with it, right? And so we come to God as the, the owner and we say to him, thank you for allowing me to steward these things for my good and your glory. How would you have me use these things, right? So what, what he calls us to is, is equal sacrifice, not equal giving. Two very important points that come out of this. One, that means no gift is so small that it's insignificant. No gift is so small that it's insignificant. If it reflects a heart that is moving in worship and gratitude toward God, God is honored by that gift. The second thing is that no gift is so large that it's automatically significant. There are some people who have great means, great wealth, and they're able to give large gifts, but the reality is it reflects very small sacrifice. Just because the gift is large doesn't mean God's impressed, right? Just because the gift is small doesn't mean God is not paying attention. Equal sacrifice, not equal giving. What he's asking for is a heart of genuine stewardship, not a heart that is seeking to, to simply um, get by with, with the minimum, right? We're looking for people that are undone by grace, people that are genuinely grateful and moving forward. So, so we're talking about principles for giving, Okay. So the first is we need to be motivated by grace. The second is that, um, that, that God expects us, in a sense, uh, to, to move forward with this fairness principle, that it's, it's equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. This morning, what we're going to do is take a look at the faith principle, that our giving needs to be motiv- motivated by and an engagement of, of faith. Um, we really need to stop seeing our giving as charity and start seeing it as an investment. And faith is the principle that allows us to do that. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. Take a look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9. Uh, You might want to keep your Bibles open. We'll be referring to these these verses quite a bit. Starting in 8, he says, I say this not as a command. So what he's saying here is, look, you're giving a gift, right? We've talked about this. I want you to give this gift. You've agreed to give this gift. But I'm not telling you, I'm not commanding you to do this. Instead, it's to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So it's an expression of your genuineness of love. When you give, it shows your heart. That's kind of what we talked about, right? It reveals what, you're, what, what you really value in your heart. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. All right, what? <laughs> Paul's talking about giving money. Why does he start talking about Jesus, right? I mean, this, you could almost come on, this seems a bit manipulative, Paul. I want you to give money. Jesus died for you, right? Jesus died for you. You better, you better give. You better give a lot, right? All right, it's not manipulative. It, it, there's actually two reasons, I think, that Paul brings up Jesus here. The, the first is to provoke gratitude, and the second is to show us that, that he has set an example for how we're supposed to approach life. So it's supposed to provoke gratitude. So, so think about it for a minute. Jesus, who was rich, for your sakes became poor. Well, what does that mean? What was he rich with? Well, pretty much everything. <laughs> he kind of had a sweet life. I mean, think about it. Jesus was God, the second person of the Trinity, right? The Trinity is this crazy idea, three who's and one what. It'll, it'll bust your brain if you think too long about it. But what it means is that, is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like needed nothing outside of them himself, right? It's an eternal dance of community, right? Knowing and being known, loving and being loved, valuing and being valued, 
God wasn't lonely, right? He, he, he pretty much had perfect community, perfect joy. He was perfect in his glory. He was perfect in his pleasure. He, he had it all. What is it that you want in your life? He is the archetype of that thing. He is all wholeness, all goodness, all health, all joy, all pleasure. It's, he's the one that created it all. And all of those good things are really just reflections of different parts of what it means to be God. So when he talks about God being rich, it's saying that he had everything you wish you had to the nth degree. And yet for your, your sake, he made himself poor. Philippians 2 said that, 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 that Jesus um, emptied himself when he became a man, emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. What did he empty himself of? He emptied himself of, of his glory. He emptied himself of self-interest. He emptied himself of his right. He did not consider equality with God. That's what the verse says, equality with God, a thing to be grasped. In other words, you know, like I've got this position, this experience of wealth, and I'm not going to let it go. It's mine, right? Instead, he, he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, so he not only left the richness of that experience to become a man, to live the life that you and I should have lived, but, but he then died the death we deserve to die. He became our substitute on the cross. He, he became the embodiment of everything that was bad about us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He took our poverty. He took our shame. He took our rebellion our cosmic treason, and he wore it on himself. God punished him in our place and fully satisfied God in regard to our sin and then rose again to new life, not just for himself, but for us. That should provoke gratitude in our hearts. If that doesn't, you, you probably don't believe it. That should move our hearts because that radical display of love should provoke our hearts to love right? And that's what love does. When, when people show us love, it softens our heart. Even people we don't like, if they do these random acts of kindness, if they lay down their lives for us in some way, we respond by our hearts softening toward them, right? That's the message of the gospel. The God of the universe loved you so much that he didn't stand separate from you, alienated from you, judging you, but instead identified with you, died for you, rose again for you, that you might be approved by the sovereign God of the universe, that the judge of all things might look at you and say, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. I delight in you, not because of your record, but because of Christ's. If that doesn't unleash gratitude in our hearts, we just don't believe it. So the first thing Paul is saying is that this message, this radical message of the gospel should free us to gratitude. The second thing is that it sh should show us an example. That there, as followers of Christ, it should show us a new way of approaching life. Now, why did Jesus go to the cross? There are obviously a number of good answers to that question. He went to the cross to die for our sin, that we might be forgiven, to rise again in a new life so that we could be, have new life with God. He, he went on mission to restore God's glory to the created order. God created all things to glorify himself so that we might live in the overflow of his joy. So, so Jesus went on mission so that God could reclaim his glory in creation, and we as those who were created in his image might, might live in his joy, right? But here's, here's, a, here's another reason. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this, 
For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He went to the cross because there was joy on the other side. It was a joy worth the sacrifice. There was something on the other side of the cross that he was willing to endure the cross to get to. And what that means is that his sacrifice on the cross was not meaningless. It was a sacrifice. It was instead an investment. We often think of giving as charity. In fact, charity is the word we commonly use for it. Some of you, even on your home budgets, might actually have a line item for charity. Charity is usually that, that line item that we have for giving to people that are in need or in need, more need than us, right? So, so we might give to the Red Cross after um, a natural disaster. We might give to a homeless shelter. We might give to somebody standing on the side of the road, right? One of those things where it's like they're, they're you know, and you're, okay, I've got a little bit. When do we give, right? Do you normally give on the way into the store or the way out? Normally it's the way out. You know why? Because most of us give out of what's left over, if we're just honest about it. Giving is not a priority for us. It's secondary. Priority is taking care of me. Priority is, is taking care of my needs and, and feeding my family, and we give out of what's left over, right? So that's why we give when we're coming out of the store, because it's like, I wonder what I have left over. Oh, here's a little change. Right? So we give to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We give to meet needs, but it's usually secondarily. Think about the way Christ gave. Christ didn't give out of charity. He gave first and primary. He gave his best. He didn't give what was left over. He, um, he gave intentionally and uh, freely. See, most of us relate to God the same way we relate to charity. We are giving with God is really more of a tip than a tithe. You know, we, don't, we don't take what's up front and give to God. We just look and see what's left over at the end. And, oh, okay, we might throw this out there. You know, we don't give first. We give what's last. And usually it's painful because it is a sacrifice. When you love your money, it doesn't matter how much you give away, it usually hurts. Unless it's so small that it's completely inconsequential to you. Right? And so we think of giving as sacrifice. Um, and, and we can only endure so much sacrifice before we start flinching and pulling back. So here's the deal. Jesus didn't die on the cross out of a general feeling of charity. He did it out of strategic investment. There was joy on the other side, and it was worth the sacrifice. It was worth the investment. He was on mission, on mission for God's glory and for His joy and and our joy, and it was worth sacrificing for. So what Paul is saying is, is we need to follow that example. In fact, take a look at verse 10. It's the very thing he says. In verse 10, he says, "...and in this matter I give my judgment concerning giving. It benefits you." Listen to what he's saying. Giving benefits you. It's an investment, not a sacrifice. When we think of sacrifice, it's usually something that doesn't benefit us. It's something that hurts, right? It's something that's more like charity. It's just something I'm just showing goodwill. What he's saying is that a lifestyle of giving benefits us. That there is a way, in fact, we come out better as a result of giving. When we look at our giving as an investment instead of charity, we're benefited. Here's the thing. Every time you spend, you are, in fact, investing. Every time you spend, you're investing. You're, you're, you're investing. You're spending money thinking you're going to get something out of it, right? Starbucks, okay? Some of you love 
Starbucks, and I'm with you, <laughs> right? And I don't just love Starbucks. I love 222, and I, lo- I like it all, right? I'm, I'm, I'm down with good coffee, right? And I really like the, the, the fancy drinks, right? And so some of you are like, man, every $5 a day, maybe 10 because you get two, right? You're going to hit Starbucks. Why do you do that? Why don't you just brew your own coffee? It's way cheaper. They're using drip things over there too, right? You make just as good a coffee at home. Why, why, why do we spend the money? It's an investment, isn't it? there's something we're going to get from that coffee. There's something we're going to get, and it's worth spending. In fact, when we buy the coffee, we don't think of it as a sacrifice. Right? That's not a sacrifice. That's why, because what we're getting out of it more than compensates what we're spending to get it. It's an investment. Everything we spend money on is ultimately an investment. We're looking to get something out of it, and that's why giving money hurts because it means we can't do those things that we're already investing in because we think those things are going to meet our needs, right? Whether it's the cup of coffee um, from Starbucks or the extra game of golf, maybe the fancy dinner once a month, or for some of you once a week, for some of you once a day. For some of you, it's going to be that, that, you know, you're, you're not a spender, you're a saver. And so what you do with your money is you spend it into your retirement account. You know exactly what year you get to, to retire, and you know exactly at what level you're going to retire at, and, and, and there's this sense of security in that investment, right? That's, we're all investing our money. That's what I want you to get. We're all spending it in ways that we think are going to give us things that we want and need, whether it's security or pleasure or joy. Catch this, you guys. When we give by faith, our giving becomes an investment instead of a sacrifice, when we give by faith, our giving, that's, that, that giving of the money becomes an investment instead of a sacrifice. Because what you're saying is this, when you give up the cup of coffee, okay, I'm going to give up my Starbucks so that I can have that $5 a day, $35 a week, um, $130 a month, you know, about $1,500 a year. I'm going to give that away. I'm going to give up my Starbucks and I'm going to give away $1,500 a year. Instead, what you're saying is this, God, by faith, I trust you're going to do for me what I'm looking to that cup of coffee to do. What you're saying is, is, God, you're better than that cup of coffee. You're better than that experience. You're better than, than what I'm investing into that thing, looking for something out of it. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it is. But what you're saying is, is that when you give that money instead, what you're saying is, God, I'm looking to you to be better. It's an investment, I'm looking for you to meet that need. When I give up that golf game, when I, when I reduce the amount of money I spend on my hobby, when I cut these, these things that are not necessary for life but add joy, what I'm saying is, God, I, I trust you're going to meet me in that place and actually give me more joy than what I'm giving up. When we approach our giving with faith, it allows us to see that it is, in fact, an investment and not a sacrifice. We are, we're basically saying, God, there will be a benefit for me in this because you're going to meet me in this. For the joy set before me, I endure the pain. I want to use Paul's language. In faith that you're going to meet me in the sacrifice. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, look, you guys, giving is worth it. We should have regular patterns of giving in our lives because it is worth it. There is a benefit to us as followers of Christ in approaching our money in a new way where we prioritize giving. It's not something we do last. It is something we do first. It's not something we do out of what's left over. We prioritize because anytime you make an investment, you realize that it's worth um, giving to, right? 
All right, so here's the deal. This is one way you catch. So we're talking about this. We're not talking about money. We're talking about money, but we're really not. We're talking about your heart. Because what you do with your money is a revelation of your heart and a shaper of your heart. So we're talking about faith. And when the Bible talks about faith, it talks about it both as obedience and trust. Right? When God says, this is what I want you to do, that's an issue of obedience. The issue of trust is saying, okay, God, I believe that by obeying you, it's actually going to be better for me. You're going to meet me in ways, right? Um, and so if we're going to be obedient, here's the thing. I want to show us, first of all, what God expects us to be obedient to when we're talking about giving. And I want to show us what God promises, how it's going to be better. Okay? So we're going to look at chapter 9 to talk specifically about how we're supposed to be obedient. We're talking about giving. What, in fact, does God expect from us, right? What is he telling us to do? Well, first of all, he's telling us that our giving should be done freely. That our giving should be done freely. Take a, chap- take a look at chapter 9, verse 7. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart. Notice he's not giving a specific percentage or amount. Each one of you must give as you've decided in your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So it's not about arm twisting. It's not about guilting. It's not about forcing. It's about you coming and saying, I freely give. In verse 6 of that same chapter, Paul puts it this way. At the end of that chapter, he's telling the Corinthians, look, I want you to have this gift together before we show up. Um, So why don't you guys get this thing together? And at the very end, he says this, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. In other words, I don't want to come and feel like I'm twisting your arm to get this thing. We've already talked about this. So why don't you guys go ahead and do the hard work right now, gather it together, and, and I want it to be ready as a willing gift. That phrase, willing gift, actually is a single Greek word, eulogia, from which we get our, our English word eulogy, a good word or a blessing. In other words, I want the gift to be ready as an expression of blessing, an expression of gratitude. It should be a free gift because it's motivated from gratitude. Your heart should be so undone by the grace of God, by the blessings that God has poured out into your life, that you freely released him back what he's already given to you. That that we, in fact, do come and say, as a blessing in response to the blessing of God, in gratitude, I freely give. So it needs to be done freely, not under compulsion. Secondly, it needs to be done cheerfully. It needs to be done joyfully. Verse 7, at the end, when he says, I don't want this done under compulsion, for God, right at the end, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Gratitude should not only lead us to be free givers, but cheerful givers. Um, when you give to someone you love, parent, child, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, you take joy in their joy, don't you? Do you really gloat over the sacrifice? Like, oh man, that really hurt. You really don't. It's like, man, I I just get pleasure out of seeing you smile. It's a free gift. It's a joyful gift. Why? Because it's a gift motivated by and in the context of love. That's really all God is saying. He's saying, stop giving as a way of performing for me or trying to earn something from me. I've already given you everything in Christ. I just want you to love me. Because I love you and I have pursued you and I have demonstrated my love to you in Christ. Give freely. Give joyfully as an expression of love and gratitude. And finally, give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Verse 6. 
Um, Paul says, the point is, and by the way, anytime Paul says the point is, you kind of need to pay attention. Because <laughs> he's saying, look, I've said a lot of words, but of all the words I've said, yeah, I'm going to cut, cut to the heart of it here. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the giving, he's using a, a sowing metaphor, an agricultural metaphor. If you go out with like 10 seeds into the field, you're not going to get much of a harvest, right? Now you may have to, you're like, no, I want to save all my seed, man. I don't want to waste it all. He's saying, man, just throw it, <laughs> right? So bountifully, because when you sow bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. What he's saying is, is when it comes to giving, we shouldn't approach it as misers. We should approach it as those who are free, knowing that we're going to reap a harvest, right? It should be done generously. It should be done, and we use the word sacrificially because uh, it feels sacrificial to us. You guys remember the Macedonians? I mentioned them. We studied them two weeks ago, right? Um, I want you to just take a look. We're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 8. I'm not going to a lot of comment, but I want you to see these three principles absolutely driven home as Paul praises the Macedonians. Chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. In other words, they're experiencing grace in a unique and powerful way. For in a severe test of affliction... That's their suffering, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty, weird math, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we encouraged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In other words, you should be following their example. Look at the Macedonians. They're people that are living out this principle. And he's not, saying, he's not just saying, do what they do. He's saying, wouldn't you like to be who they are? Look at their lives. Look at the overflow of their joy. Look at their radical freedom. Wouldn't you like to be like that? Wouldn't you like to be able to experience life like they're experiencing it? Then maybe you should approach it like they're approaching it. Based on grace, not greed. Pursuing freedom instead of stuff, right? Our giving should be done freely, cheerfully, sacrificially. Um, for some of you, I know, as we even put this list up there, you're going to be like, Steve, I, I, I get what you're saying, man. I hear it. Um, but here's the deal. I can, I can do um, the free gift, I can force myself to do that. I can give the sacrificial gift, but the joyful piece, it's just not there. It hurts too much right now. It just doesn't feel very authentic to me, so I think I'm just going to wait until God changes my heart. And then, once God changes my heart, then it'll be more authentic. Then it'll be real, right? So I'm going to wait till it's real because I don't want to be inauthentic. And you're getting one point right, and that is that what you do with your money reflects the value of your heart. So if you're having a hard time having joy in giving, that tells you something about your heart, that you are, in fact, locked up in greed and not freed by grace, at least not enough yet. But you're missing the second point, and that is this, that what you do with your money shapes your heart. In other words, sometimes, sometimes you have to obey before you experience the joy of obedience. Sometimes you have to choose to do what God says you're supposed to do and trust that He will, in response, actually change your heart to experience the joy as a result. So what we need to do is take our eyes 
off of what we own and look instead to the God who promises that as if we're good stewards, that, that he's going to bless. And so we've talked about what it means to obey, right? Give um, freely, joyfully, sacrificially. What does he promise as a result? Take a look at um, verse 8. First of all, he promises a deeper and more satisfying experience of grace. Verse 8. And God, he's all, okay, we've explained the, the joyful, or excuse me, the free, the joyful, and, and sacrificial giving. Now in verse 8, and God, as a result of that, as you move into that kind of giving, God is able to make all grace abound to you. In other words, your experience of grace will abound. It will, it will be abundant and free so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You guys, listen to me. Grace is better than money. <laughs> An experience of grace is more powerful, more satisfying, more life-changing than more money. Right? When we experience grace, our souls are actually getting what they crave. We, there's nothing we crave more in the universe than love. We were wired to be loved by the God who is love. And when we experience grace, we are experiencing the unconditional outpouring of the love of God. A deeper, more powerful experience of that love does nothing but increase our joy, magnify our freedom, move us into health and wholeness. All the things money promises to do but can't deliver. Grace is better than money. The first promise that comes as we move into this kind of giving is that God is going to give us a super abounding experience of grace. The next thing is that God promises to increase our righteousness. In verse 10, he says this, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That, I know that doesn't sound real sexy. And here's the deal. If I were to offer some of you $100 or an increased experience of righteousness, I know what you would pick, <laughs> right? Some of you are like, dude, I'm going to do it for $10. That's lunch, right? I understand that, right? We look at that and we're like, man, I want the money, right? Righteousness. That just doesn't sound real great. Here's the thing. We need to understand righteousness. To be righteous means to be right. Right with ourselves. Right with each other. Right with God. It's talking about an increased experience of the redemption of the gospel. It means God's changing us to be right, whole, healthy. See, the promise here is this. God's going to change us. As we give, God will increase our experience. See, here's the thing. Giving doesn't get you anything more with God. It just gets you a deeper experience of what you already have with God as a follower of Christ. You already have everything in Christ. Christ has earned it all for you, but you're only experiencing a tiny, tiny bit of it. Like, like the tip of an iceberg. It's this little thing that you're experiencing with so much more to come. What he's saying is that giving is an act of grace that allows you to enter more fully into the transformative work of the gospel. It will change you in beautiful ways. Now, what I love about this verse is, is at the beginning, he says, he who supplies the seed, that's God, to the sower and bread for food. In other words, he's the one that gives you the stuff that he's asking you to give away. So why is he asking you to give if he doesn't need it? If it's all his to begin with, why does he want you to give? It's not because he needs you. It's because he wants to bless you. 
He gives it to you so you can give it away so that in the process, you'll be changed. You'll be set free. You'll experience more of what God has designed you to experience. He will increase your harvest of righteousness. And finally, he promises to increase your ability to be generous. He promises to increase your ability to be generous. As you move forward in obedience, he promises to increase your ability. Verse 11. As you move into this kind of giving, you will be enriched in every way. Enriched. You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So we're talking about, first of all, heart change, that God is going to change your heart in such a way that you become more free in generosity. Right now, we're so, I mean, the reality is a lot of times we're so stingy, we can't experience the true joy of generosity because we can only move so far into it, right? We move too far, it starts feeling like sacrifice, we pull back, we start resenting it. It's just not an incredibly pleasant experience. God is going to change your heart in such a way that you actually enjoy the process of generosity. In other words, the same way that you have received grace, you're going to learn to give grace. The same way you have received much, you will learn to give much. And in that giving, you will take tremendous joy in the process, right? God never gives us grace to hoard for ourselves. He gives it so that it might be given away. And what he's saying is, I will increase your capacity for joy. I will enrich you with a greater capacity to experience joy in giving as you give. So he's talking about heart change, but he is not just talking about heart change. He's saying, I will enrich you in everything, which includes money. He's saying, I will take care of you. If you give generously, I will give back to you. I will protect you. I will enrich you. I want to be very clear on this point and very careful because some people really, some preachers abuse this passage. Prosperity preachers basically come to this passage and they say, you should give more and more and more money because the more you give, the more you're going to get. And usually what they're saying is, I want you to give it more to me, (laughs) right? Give it to me and then God's going to bless you and it's going to multiply your seed and you're going to have more and more money. The problem is I want you to see that underlying that is that grace math or greed math. What they're essentially saying is this, give so you can get. Give so that you will become richer. They never actually move you from greed to grace. So here's the challenge with false teaching. A lot of times it's 90% true, and that's what makes it so deceptive and so enslaving. That is not the gospel, you guys, and it is not good teaching of the Scripture. The Scripture does teach that God will bless you in result of your giving, and He will give you more money as you give money away. But why does He give it? So that you can become more generous. He doesn't get it, give it to you so that you can become more greedy. All right, finally, I've made it, right? Now I get to just lock my doors and protect my home, become the owner. He does it so that we will, in fact, be freed up to become more and more generous. God wants us to experience more grace, not have more wealth. That's not the point. It's not that we won't become more wealthy. Sometimes we will. But what he really wants is the heart change. And as we have the heart change, it won't matter whether we have much or have little. We will experience grace. And that experience of grace is not dependent on how much money you have. So listen, I want to be very clear. As you step out to give, God will take care of you. But the motivation is not so that you can get more, but so that you can give more. So we need to become greedy, but greedy for grace, for what's truly valuable and worth investing in. 
All right. We're going to wrap up today a little bit unusually. Um, I'm going to tell a couple stories, which is going to cause us to go a little bit long, and I, I appreciate you giving me grace on this. Uh, but here's the thing. Paul teaches specific principles in the Word, and then he illustrates those principles. So he'll teach something that's true, and then he'll say, look at this person over here who's actually living in it. Don't you want to be like them? Sometimes he'll even say, look at me. I'm, I'm, this is how I'm living it out. This is what it looks like in real life. Don't you want to follow this? So he doesn't just give us principles that are dry. He gives us illustrations that are alive. And as we're kind of talking about this, um, I want to give you some illustrations, specifically in regard to our capital campaign. Um, But I want to tell you a little bit about, first of all, my story and then some of the stories of our leaders. Um, And I do this, honestly, this was an issue I've wrestled with a lot this week. This has been, um, this whole series on money, man, it has just pushed on me in some weird ways. Talking about money is hard, um, and this has been a difficult part. But I, th- I think that it's important, and I think, honestly, um, the Spirit can use it. I'm going to enter into it with the same spirit of, of um, when I first became a believer, I went to this conference, this guy named Joseph Son. Um, he was this Romanian guy, this little guy who, who, who spoke this real slurred English, and, but he was brilliant, and he blew my mind, and he pointed me to Jesus in ways that were incredibly beautiful. Um, and he would get up there. He was a guy that had been persecuted in Romania and actually got kicked out of his country, lost everything he had. Um, and he just was overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with joy. And he would get up there. And the first thing he would say before he told his story is this. He'd say, when you walk away today, I don't want you walking away saying, what a great man. I want you to walk away saying, what a great God. What a great Savior, because all I'm doing is giving you a testimony of how God has worked in my life to bless me and set me free. And that's honestly what I hope will come from these stories. When I first became a believer at 17, I was like most 17-year-olds. I was incredibly selfish and self-centered and didn't even know it. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't really feel the need to give any money away. Uh, I didn't need, feel the need to be generous because, honestly, up to that point, everyone had been generous with me. That's kind of the benefit of being a kid, right? Everybody takes care of you. They feed you. They clothe you. They, they, they you know, uh, and if you're incredibly lazy, they do things for you. You should be doing for yourself and that pretty much describe me, okay? I became a believer at 17, started studying the scripture and reading. I was in college and God started changing my heart and challenging me in some, some, some real ways. And um, there was an older guy at the college who was a Christian and I didn't like him. <laughs> he didn't like me. I wasn't very likable at that point. Um, I was kind of abrasive and could be really rude. Um, I was a skater from California going to college in Dubuque, Iowa, and this guy was like an old farmer. And anyway, it was not a good mix. And um, so I'm praying. I'm like, all right, Lord, how do, I, how do I engage this guy? I don't even, I don't even like this guy. I'm kind of feeling convicted, like maybe I shouldn't be so judgmental. And well, here's the thing. I overhear one day that the guy doesn't, he needs shoes, right? And he isn't, he's a college, he's back in college. He's an older guy back in college. He doesn't have money. And um, I'm going to college full-time and working. Um, I didn't need the money, but I just, anyway. Uh, I, so I had money. Uh, and uh, it, the thought crossed my mind, what if I buy him some shoes? <laughs> and I remember this vividly because what ended up happening is I actually found out what kind of shoes he wanted to wear without him finding out. I found out what size he wore. I went and bought them. And it cost like 50 bucks, which for a college student was a ton of money, right? I go buy these $50 shoes. I, I stick them under the mailboxes and put a note in his mailbox, Right? And, um, and I never told him who they were from. I didn't even watch him get them. I just saw him later wearing them. And I remember having so much joy. Like, he doesn't even know it's from me. In fact, that would kind of ruin it. I don't even want him to know. But there was this joy. And here's what gave me joy. 
is I knew he didn't know where they came from, so he had no one to thank but God. I'm like, how cool is that? He doesn't even like me, and he's thanking God for me, right? And I kind of like him better than I used to. Like, I'm actually being changed. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it actually started changing me. And what that did is it, it really lit me up in some ways. And I really kind of caught this thing for just meeting people's needs. It kind of lit me up. And, and when I married Lauren, um, she was lit up in the same way. And so we would just, we would at times, that's, that's kind of how we gave, is, is we would just find people in need and we would give to them. And sometimes it, was, it, was, it seemed really sacrificial and generous. Other times it wasn't as much. Um, but, but we just, you know, I mean, we, were, we just loved doing it and we enjoyed doing it. But here's the reality when I look back. We were giving out of what was left over, not what was first. I know that. Like we weren't intentionally every week or every month setting aside money to give. We would just respond and and then we would take a look at what we had left over, not what we had set aside. And so our generosity was always limited by by what was left over. And honestly, there, there wasn't a lot very often. Um, but we felt generous because we were meeting people's needs. All right, flash forward, I'm at The Journey, which is a church in St. Louis. I left education after 17 years of being a teacher and a principal and had, had joined this church as the family pastor. And, and so I'm one of seven pastors on staff. And Darren, the lead pastor, sits us all down and he's talking to us about our stewardship and he challenges us and he has personal conversations with each one of us. And he says, I want our leaders to be generous givers. I want our leaders to be leading in this way. I'm like, Got you covered, man. Generous, generous giver. Right here, generous. Right? Got the badge. I got the badge. Um, and, and, and so he sat down with us, and he's like, so tell me about your habits of giving. And so I, oh, man, people have need. We just give, right? It's like we're so organic and super spiritual, and it's awesome. He's like, okay, what, what's your percentage of giving? I'm like, percentage? Dude, I'm so spiritual. I don't even know, right? I don't, I don't care about stuff like that. Percentage? What is that? He's like, for real, dude, take a look. He's like, there's, there's nothing magical about the 10% number. I can't take you to Scripture and say you have to give 10% to God. But he's like, here's the thing. The church tradition has held that number as honestly the measure of the beginning of generosity. And I would like to see all of our leaders giving at least 10%, that that would be the baseline of generosity for our leaders. He's like, I'm not going to put the legalism on you. I'm not telling you that's what you have to do or earn God's favor. I'm just saying as leaders in this church, that's the bar I want to set. I'm like, huh, I don't know. So I went to Lauren, and we actually looked at our finances. Come to find out, we were giving about 6% of our income away on average. That extra 4% was going to hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we were in full-time ministry at this point. I got three kids. It's not like I had a lot of extra money. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, it was like one of those moments, like come to Jesus moments, where like, seriously, God, can you take care of this? Lauren and I are like, I mean, it was stress. It's like, can we really make that gap? And We did. We prayed about it. We felt like that's what God was leading us to do. We wanted to lead out as leaders in the church. Um, we wanted to honor God. We wanted to honor Darren as, as um, the lead pastor and, and his leadership. So we did it. We agreed to do it. Um, and, and here's the thing. Looking back, I can tell you this. God blessed. We, we purposely started giving out of the first instead of the last. We started giving generously um, to God and then above and beyond to others. And here's the thing. We, we didn't sink. In fact, we actually paid off more debt. We, we actually improved financially. I can't even explain to you how it all happened. But God blessed us 
And I believe it's simply an unpacking of the very principles we've been looking at in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that God, in response to our obedience, we stepped out and, and we're like, all right, Lord, we want to be free, we want to be joyful, and we want it to be sacrificial, so we're going to do this. And God, um, God blessed. And it's really a good thing because it was only a couple years after that that he called us to come over here and plant this church. And when we came over here to plant this church, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be transparent and honest. I mean, it took everything we had. It took everything we had. It, com- it depleted our savings. Um, I cashed in my retirement. Um, it took everything we had. It was a huge sacrifice for our family. Uh, my kids were in high school at that point, And financially, I mean, it was It was rough. <laughs> Why am I telling you this? Because here's the thing, it was worth every penny. There's not a penny I have spent in following God that I regret. There's a lot of other money I regret. A lot of things I bought just for me or for whatever that I wish I could go back and, man, I wasn't worth it. There's not a penny that I have spent in following God's call in my life that I regret. You know why? Not because I'm so noble or I'm so spiritual, but because God has blessed us. When we came over here, man, God unleashed blessing in my home, in my relationship with my wife, with my kids. He unleashed blessing in this church. Um, There are people here, as I look around, that are are spiritual sons and daughters to me. They've come to faith here. I wouldn't give a dollar back. And I don't regret a single dollar that we gave up. So fast forward to now, when we're doing this capital campaign and we're kind of doing this big public push, like, hey, hey, everybody, let's sacrifice, let's give, we've got this opportunity to get a building, and then I feel the same way. It's like, okay, as a leader, I need to lead, right? I need to step out in faith and and give. So I go to Lauren, and I'm like, what do we got? (laughs) Because she keeps the books. You know, we set the budget together, but she keeps the daily books. She's way better at numbers than I am. I'm like, what can we do? Let's sit down. Let's talk about this and pray about it. She's like, we don't have anything. We have two kids in college, right? You think your toddlers are expensive? They get more expensive. I just hate to tell you this. Kids get more expensive, right? And they're hard workers. They have jobs. They go to school. They're diligent in their classes. They're diligent earning money. But it's expensive. They both needed cars. So we've required them to pay for part of that, but we help pay for that. There's insurance. There's, there's all kinds of stuff, right? Thankfully, I still have one kid at home, a high school boy who eats like a horse, right? I mean, it's... Kids are expensive, right? And so we're looking at this like, and, and the reality is we've already pretty much trimmed everything out. We have one car, right? We don't have cable. We, we, we shop at, at Aldi's and thrift stores. I'm not, these are, it's just, we, we love it, right? It's part of what equips us to do what we want to do. There wasn't anything there. So we prayed about it. We're like, Lord, how are we going to do this? What should we do? And we realized we still have a car. Huh. It's a car that God blessed us. We were able to buy new, which the first time and only time I've ever been able to do that. And it was actually a wise purchase, thankfully. God, again, gave us some grace. And, and so we have a payment on that car, and we actually have equity in the car. We have about three or $4,000 of equity in the car. So we're going to sell the car. And, and we're going to take the three or $4,000 we have in equity and buy another one because we need a car. That's a necessity for life. But a car that's going to get us through the next three years. And then we're going to take that payment, and we're going to put it toward the capital campaign which amazingly is actually going to equip us to give about $10,000 over three years. And, and we're thrilled to do it. Like we're having a kick right now looking at uh, uh, used cars on Craigslist. 
<laughs> it's a bit of debate about which one we want, but we're having fun looking for it, you know? Um, here's the thing, you guys. I'm not, I'm not sharing all this. It's, it's, I'm, it made Lauren incredibly uncomfortable. That I was, it makes me uncomfortable too, but here's the thing. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that I'm boasting. Not in me. I'm boasting in the grace of God. I'm saying there's something better and it's worth investing in. There is not a single dime I would take back in change for the benefit we received. I look at it and honestly, I'm amazed that God has taken such a pitiful investment and given us such a rich reward. I share this story with my leaders because leaders lead. That's what leaders do. And so as we came to this capital campaign, I came to my leaders and I'm like, all right, you guys, Let's lead and then invite others to follow. And so I sat down with them and shared with them the challenges and opportunities in front of us and invited them to say, how are you going to be involved? How are you going to contribute? And and let's just process it. Let's pray about it. And so they prayed about it, and I got to sit down with with many of those leaders in one-on-one conversations and answer questions and and listen to their stories about how, how God was working on their heart. And honestly, it was a tremendously encouraging process and story after story, person after person, sharing about about how God was meeting them, how they went through this process of, man, I don't want to do that. That's going to hurt to the point of, man, I really want to do that. How much can I give, right? God, how much are you going to free me to give? And and I wanted to, we're going to share some of those stories as we continue, but but there's one specifically I wanted to share this morning. This is JB and Abby. These guys are currently in Kansas City. I'll share why uh, after the video. Let's go ahead and show the video. My name is J.B. Wendell, and this is my wife, Abby. And for the last five years, we have been living in the Metro East and from the very beginning been attending Trailhead. And uh, we're really excited that we are able to, to call this place home. We moved to Edwardsville because we work with an organization called Crew. It's a Christian campus ministry, and we trust God to use us on college campuses in and around the Metro East uh, to to bring students who don't know God into a personal relationship with Him, uh, build those students up in their faith uh, through their years in college, and then send them on mission to their community in the college campus and even beyond uh, as they graduate and go into the marketplace. Yeah, and this is a really crazy time in life for us actually. About nine months ago we began to sense that the Lord was leading us to to take a step of faith and uh, that step of faith for us is to move our family and actually go with a team of eight crew staff uh, who all actually attend this church and move to a closed country in East Asia. And so in August of this coming year we are going to be moving our family and our team uh, to this closed country to share the gospel on university campuses And what's so awesome about it is that we are going to be able to have conversations with and and talk to students about the gospel. Uh, And many of them have never even heard the gospel before. In fact, some of them have never even heard the name of Jesus before. And so it is a really, really kind of fun time of life and ministry for us right now. And, uh, and it's also a really big step of faith for us. We have a, an almost three-year-old and almost one-year-old, and we're selling our house and selling our cars and, and moving to a country where uh, we've never lived before. And so it really is like a kind of a time of, gosh, not knowing what's around the corner. Um, but we're also really excited and confident in the Lord's call. Um, but there's a part of our hearts that's really sad to leave uh, Trailhead at this really exciting time in the life of the church. And so when we started hearing about the Capital Campaign, we began thinking, how can we continue to be involved in what God is doing through Trailhead, even when Edwardsville isn't our home anymore? 
Uh, and so as we've begun to think about what the Lord might be calling us to as a family in terms of uh, giving and taking a step of faith in the context of the capital campaign, uh, we've, we've really been praying about it and saying, okay, Lord, uh, everything that we have, you have given to us. And how do you want us to, to steward these things? And uh, it's kind of crazy, but Abby and I, we, we raise support to do what we do. We have churches and individuals that give on a regular basis to kind of support our ministry. And with the transition to East Asia, there's just a lot of stuff in transition for us right now. A lot of unknowns. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're, we're like, Lord, what, what can we do and what can we give? And so we began to, to really take a look intentionally at our finances. And we realized that even with all the flux... Um, there's something that is true, and that is we are not going to have a car while we're in East Asia. And so the, the regular money that we put aside on a, on a monthly basis, so things for car insurance and repairs and new tires and all that kind of stuff, that is, is available um, for the Lord to, to kind of use. He's freed that up in our budget. And it would be easy, I guess, for us to, to think about other ways to spend that or absorb that into a different area of the budget. But we believe that the Lord is asking us to take this step of faith, to take money on a regular basis, a monthly basis, and put it towards the, the capital campaign uh, because we believe that the Lord is moving through this church. We believe that uh, the community is being impacted and that the gospel is, is going out and the name of Jesus is being exalted in places that it wasn't because of Trailhead. And so uh, it's a step of faith for us. Um, it's trusting the Lord for us, but we are excited to begin giving in a monthly capacity to the capital campaign. Um, and we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do with those finances. So Jamie and Abby, this was typical, honestly, of, of many of the leaders I was talking to. I loved their story because it really was about how can we give? These guys aren't even done raising the money they need to go to East Asia. I mean, that's why they're in Kansas City this weekend. They're still out networking and raising money, and yet they're asking God, God, can we give, right? They, anyway, I loved it. Um, and I found this again and again. I've, I've met with about 80% of, I've, of our leadership team and asked them to lead out. About 80% has reported as of this morning their gifts. And I just wanted to let you guys know, um, praise God, as of this morning, we already have $252,580 pledged toward the 550 we need um, to move forward. That is a, a huge blessing. And what I want to do is invite you to join us as we continue to move forward um, to follow God. I'm going to ask you to pray to ask God how you should be involved, right? Maybe God is going to move you to, to, for some of you, maybe the first time you've ever given to a church. For some of you, it may be giving in a new, in a new way. Maybe it's going to ask you to sacrifice some things or simplify your life in some ways. I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you. What I can tell you is that you have an opportunity in front of you. And some of you may look at our numbers and go, well, I think they can make it on their own. I'll just sit back and wait for a while and watch and see if they can get there. And if not, maybe then I'll contribute. But let me ask you something. If we could do it without you, would you want us to? If we could do it without you, would you want us to? Or do you want to be part of it? <laughs> would you rather be on the sidelines cheering it on? Or do you want to have some skin in the game? And know that, that in putting that skin in the game, you're benefiting from the investment. I'm inviting you to join us. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. We have a long way to go. We really do need the whole church to step up and get involved. Um, but that is not by coercion. First rule, has to be done freely. So I'm asking you to freely... 
Go before the Lord, ask how you should be involved, joyfully give, sacrificially follow, and trust that God will meet you in it. What I can tell you is worth the investment. It's worth the investment. As you become regular, sacrificial givers, God will meet you in it, and He'll bless you. Some important dates that are coming up, um, Commitment Sunday, November 24th. Uh, is that date we're going to ask for you and pray about it and come and say, yeah, over three years, I think we can partner with the church and commit this amount. Then December 15th, we're going to be taking our first fruits offering, which is that kind of the, the first uh, down payment into the process, you know, asking God, Lord, what can I give on December 15th to kind of start building this fund and get this thing moving? So here's the deal. I mean, it's, um, I believe God has put a tremendous opportunity in front of us. I think we're going to need to engage grace to be able to go into it. And here's the thing, you join us, you're going to be blessed. So I encourage you to do it. Um, I don't know, it doesn't feel like the most spiritual way in the world to end a conversation, but again, what we do with our money is spiritual. And I thank you for giving me the grace going long this morning uh, as we kind of dug into this. Let me pray for us. We're going to go into a time of response. We'll share communion in a moment. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a good, gracious, giving God that you give and you give and you give. In fact, that's how you demonstrate your love. Your word tells us that you so loved the world that you gave your son. Move our hearts to love, to respond to your love, to experience your love, and out of that, to move out in love, that we might be freed from the enslavement to our things, to our plans, to our pleasures, that we might be freed to the joy of simply being followers, trusting that where you lead, you will provide. What you ask, you will equip. And that in Christ, you have given us everything necessary for life and godliness. And it's really just about us experiencing more of it. Lord, give us a taste, a desire, a passion, a greed for more of you. 